Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. able to pull off that little bit of magic yesterday, last night. Um, so Grant's tied up this morning, but he said, uh, if you want to record something tonight, I will. So last night when I got home, watched the Yankees win, which doesn't happen very often. I mean, what's up with that? I mean, seriously. Um, and then... Uh, Shot the show with Grant for a while, so you'll hear that here in a few minutes. So we'll, we'll do that today. Uh, the big uh, the Biden summit. Now I'm not I'm not sure why we're doing this. I don't. What's burning? Is it just a chance to say what theatric is going to come out of this? Because there is no pending major agreement. Do you remember there used to be a date? And I mentioned this to Grant, but there used to be a you know, they would, you know, presidents wouldn't meet with a guy like Vladimir Putin unless there was some major treaty to announce. You know, they just didn't meet to kind of chit chat and then do a um, Then do a media op after afterwards and call it good. I, we never really used to do that. You know, if there wasn't a reason for, you know, for that to happen. But that seems to be um, a thing of the past, I guess. Now we'll just go meet and then we'll have a media event. So my instinct is that some sort of theatric will come out of this. I don't really know what, you know, so the people that craft these things... Uh, President Biden's uh, foreign policy team. Um, you know, I guess has some, you know, has something up their sleeve. Um, I don't know. So, um, so yeah, so that's going on as we speak here, I think. Um, 
and uh, what else is going on? Fallout, Fallout from the G7. So a whole bunch of stuff going on in the news. And uh, we'll talk to Grant about that. John Stewart goes off about the Wuhan lab. Um, just, you know, a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've, you know, my instinct is to once again exclaim that the world has lost its mind. But, you know, it really hasn't. It's all very deliberately done by powerful, powerful companies uh, that have an interest in uh, shaping the world that you live in. Yeah, because they have a lot of money and they can do such things. Yeah, how about that? So, anyway, I flew home from Montana on Frontier Airlines yesterday. And let me tell you, Frontier Airlines, they don't even hand you water. There is no internet on the airplane that you can buy, which strikes me as stupid, right? So, I mean, when you fly and you buy internet, I mean, it's not cheap. And, I mean, what the hell? Yeah, so they don't go up and down the aisle. You don't get a bag of peanuts. You don't get a little, you don't get a thing of water. They just move you. Yeah. What the hell, man? Frontier. Yeah, unless you're, unless you're, you know, can't afford where you're going and you got to, you know, talk about no frills. Hello. I don't, what's, what's beneath lo- no frills? It's like, pfft. Get in the seat and shut it. So that's uh, essentially what I flew yesterday, and I w- I have to tell you that I was uh, I was surprised. I kept waiting for the internet to go on. You know, well maybe they don't turn it on till you know I think ten thousand feet or some rule like that. So I keep checking because I wanted to listen to the Yankee game. You know, amuse myself as I flew home and uh, check my email and. Uh, and never went on. And then, you know, I thought, well, at least, the, you know, so the flight attendants, I mean, at least they'll make a pass and hand out some water. Yes? No. Yeah. Frontier. If you're looking to go Spartan, Frontier's your airline. Not going to lie to you. So, um, yeah. I got to make sure I put that in my contract in the future. I don't want to fly Frontier. I'm not a big Southwest fan either. I mean, at least they hand out water and have internet, though. But a step above. So get in line. They do the whole herd thing. First come, first serve. Get in line. Festival seating on the airplane. All of that. Um, Yeah, Southwest. And I'm flying Southwest on Sunday to Honolulu. Good thing it's a short flight, right? Um, Yeah. So, uh, But no, got home last night. So I'll call in for a... About an hour. She's off to Lake Tahoe early this morning. And uh, um, so I got a chance to see my daughter for a little bit. Not very long, though. And um, it was hot here in Southern California. It's cooling off today. But uh, nice to have air conditioning for those times. That uh, It is uh, an essential. And uh, what else is going on? I don't know. That's about it. That's about it. So, um, we'll check the news before we, before we, uh, before we, uh, go to the Grant Newsham interview. And, uh, 
I'll tell you what, it was hot in Montana. Yeah, straight up hot. Um, yeah, doesn't get to be hot like that, I guess, very often up there. And, uh, and so, you know, even among the hardy people of Montana, you know, they were, uh, they were a little bit, uh, like casting a jaundiced eye in temperatures of 105 forecasted to be 107 yesterday um evidently we're now waiting for the president of the united states to talk to the media which will be really interesting because that's not really a scripted event right it's not really a scripted event but but he's a scripted guy yeah so um So, yeah, not sure what theatrics will come out of this, but uh, Vladimir Putin and um, Joe Biden meeting in Geneva, Switzerland. And I have to tell you, with no major agenda item, so what does each guy take away? What's the motive for doing this? You know, I saw a headline that says Joe Biden's going to talk to Vladimir Putin about two Marines that are imprisoned in Russia. I believe both on ESPN espionage charges of some sort that's the reason that they're going to talk that's i mean come on like so yeah i i'm just it's a bit of a head scratcher so to me all the all this staging and crafting and and this whole meeting is going to lead to some kind of statement or some kind of i would call it theatric that happens after it now, again, I give high marks to uh, President Biden's media people by not having him stand next to Dr. Evil because Dr. Evil's really good at that stuff. Yeah, he's really good at that stuff. So um, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, the Mensa brothers will join me tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Exciting stuff. Well, I haven't talked to him in a while, so we'll see if it's exciting, but normally it tends to be. So good morning on this Wednesday. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know which day of the week it is for some reason. Um the United States Marine Corps band makes the morning official. Good morning. <laughs>
And this is dedicated to Joe Biden. Good luck with Vladimir Putin. If you're not careful, he makes people look stupid. So make sure you have your hand on your wallet, bud. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. We gotta win. We gotta win. That is no joke. Neller. Um, not sure who wrote that. It's a good line. Currently in Quantico, mostly sunny 75, down the coast of Camp Lejeune. Sunny in 81. 29 Palms. Sunny in 94 already. Hey, hey. Camp Pendleton is mostly sunny in 69. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy, 72. Okinawa, Shima, yes. The prefecture, the prefecture of Okinawa, Shima, yeah. In the Ryukin Island chain. Yeah, how about that? Um, dark cloudy in 82. Darwin, clear dark in 75. In Norway, partly sunny and all the way up to 64 right now. And here at the home of All Marine Radio, Costa Mesa, Newport Beach area of Southern California, it is mostly cloudy and 69 degrees. Looking for a high today of 78. 79 tomorrow, 77 on Friday, 
78 on Saturday, and 76 on Sunday. So, yeah. I missed the big heat wave. So, that is a look at the uh, weather. We'll check some news headlines. Uh, Stars and Stripes website. Not in business this morning. Don't know why. Let me take a look in another browser, which I'm apt to do. Because sometimes, uh, if you don't know this kind of stuff, I do. But sometimes different browsers have issues. And so one of the things you got to check is, is it me or is it Memorex? And uh, it appears to be that the Stars and Stripes website is not functioning today, which is interesting. So um, so we won't consider Stars and Stripes. We'll go straight to the Wall Street Journal. Top business story in the Wall Street Journal, Apple struggles in a push to make health its greatest legacy. Now, I think it was Tim Cook the other day. Um, said that Apple's greatest legacy will be in the area of healthcare. How about that? Right? How about that? Um, story, Biden, Putin meet for tense talks in Geneva. Fresh from days of meeting with US's with the U.S.'s closest allies, President Biden met with Russian President Vladimir Putin for a summit in which he is expected to raise a number of thorny issues from Moscow's aggression towards Ukraine to alleged cyber attacks. So we'll see if uh, we'll see if President Biden um, see what he comes out of the the uh, meeting with. Quote: I hope our meeting will be productive, Mr. Putin said at the 18th century. Villa in a park overlooking Lake Geneva where the summit was taking place. He thanked the U.S. president for initiating it and noted that issues between the nation have accumulated. It's always better to meet face-to-face, Mr. Biden said. Hmm. Before the meeting started, the White House was scrambling to respond to confusion over whether Mr. Biden suggested he trusted Mr. Putin. As reporters were brought into the room where Mrs. Biden and Putin were meeting. A U.S. journalist asked whether the two men trusted each other. Biden looked at the reporter and nodded. That'll get you in a lot of trouble. That'll get you in a lot of trouble. Remember, I mean, and you can hear Grant Newsham allude to this, but you remember when George Bush's famous quote, I looked into his eyes, right? Or I looked into his soul and I saw him and you're like, oh my God, the guy's a KGB guy, you goof. Yeah, that's the President of the United States. But the White House said Mr. Biden didn't intend to indicate he trusted Mr. Putin. Quote, During a chaotic free-for-all with members of the press shouting questions over each other, the President gave a general nod, head nod, in the direction of the media. White House Press Secretary Jen, whatever her name is, Jen Psaki said, he wasn't responding to any questions or anything other than the chaos. Asked earlier this week whether he could trust Mr. Putin, the president said, I'd verify first, then I'd trust. Yeah. Joe Biden, they're pretty, he's on a pretty 
I mean, does he work? Does he generate the policy ideas and whatnot? Or is he just another guy at the table? It sounds like his media handlers like have a pretty tight rein on the president of the United States. Anyway, there's another editorial in the Wall Street Journal. Um, well, there's an editorial in the Wall Street Journal. And it says this. It's written by the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Threats rise, U.S. defense falls. Biden talks tough to adversaries even as he shrinks the Pentagon budget. President Biden is telling the world in Europe this week that America is back as the leader of global democracies. Sounds good, but China, Iran, and Vladimir Putin would be more impressed if Mr. Biden wasn't cutting America's defense even as he rightly stresses the challenges from the world's author authoritarians. Unremarked in the White House spending deluge is that its trillions for infrastructure include little new for defense. Mr. Biden's $715 billion Pentagon budget for fiscal 2022 is a 1.6% increase over last year. Adjusted for inflation, it is a cut. The Bipartisan National Defense Strategy Commission and other experts say the Pentagon needs a steady 3% to 5% real annual increases, real means after inflation, to address the threats from near peers such as China and Russia. President Trump increased defense spending modestly, but that Philip has passed. What does that mean, Philip? F-I-L-L-I-P. Hmm. Something that acts as a stimulus or a boost to activity. Having an automobile tax would provide a Philip to sales. Having, as in halving means cutting them in half. So anyway, just so you know. I learned that in Catholic school. Look a word up when you don't understand that. Mm -hmm. But that Philip has passed and spending is still at its modern norm of 3% of GDP. America is rapidly, rapidly piling up debt past 100% of GDP while shrinking its defenses. So Wall Street Journal uh, points out the obvious. Um, USNI News today. Uh, the Chief of Naval Operations. Flat or declining Navy budgets will definitely shrink the fleet. Um, Admiral Gilday, Mike Gilday, was on Capitol Hill and uh, he was he was testifying and was taken to task for the extremism training, and in particular, um, things that have been included, books that have been included on uh, the Navy's reading list that senators objected to. So that in the news. So Admiral Gilday in the news a couple different times. <clears throat> so he was doing the kabuki dance on Capitol Hill. Uh, a bunch of stories in the news. Um, headlines, military stumped by stolen box of Marine Corps armor-piercing grenades. Um, you know, again, this is, this is another Associated Press story. 
The green metal box was stuffed inside a bright pink pillowcase and stashed in the bushes behind Christopher Zachary's house. He hauled it out for a better look. Stenciled on the box, cartridges for weapons. Inside were 30-millimeter armor-piercing grenades. I was scared, said Zachary, who runs a construction company and confused. How did these high-powered explosives end up in his southwest Atlanta backyard? Where do they come from? Investigators determined the waylaid grenades were last seen eight months prior on an ammunition train that rolled out of Florida. Someone had stolen them somewhere on the rails to Pennsylvania, another example in an Associated Press investigation that shows how the military's vast supply chain is susceptible to theft. Marines called the squat 40mm rounds that appeared in Zachary's yard on that sunny morning in February 2018 as 40 Mike Mikes. They're linked together to feed the Mark 19 grenade launcher, a weapon that is like a machine gun for grenades, able every second to shoot nearly one mile. So you see a whole variety of stories that the Associated Press has written um, about the United States military and the DOD uh, appearing uh, uh, all over the place. Here's another one. You followed this story a while ago. Explosive missing from California Marine Base have been found. So there's a whole bunch of C4 that went missing. The Naval Criminal Investigative Service has recovered several pounds of C4 that went missing from the Marine Air, Air Ground Combat Center in 29 Palms in January, according to an agency spokesman. The explosives have been recovered, and NCIS and the NCIS investigation remains ongoing, said Jeff Houston, an NCIS spokesman this past Tuesday in an email. Quote, no arrests have been made and no charges have been filed at this time. Ten pounds of the high explosive went missing during a training exercise at the desert base this past February. North Carolina's 2nd Marine Division, based out of Camp Lejeune, and the 2nd Marine Air Wing, based out of Cherry Point, were conducting a training exercise on the base when the explosives went missing. No further comment was made. So, somebody found it. Again, another story that's, again, uh, to say it's head-scratching is, um, is, you know, a vast understatement. Yeah, so if you're interested in reading about weapons missing, uh, the Associated Press has a whole series of articles um, about weapons that go missing from armories and then wind up in street crimes. And so... Uh, it's an interesting and disturbing read. China denounces NATO statement, defends military spending policy. The Chinese mission to the European Union on Tuesday denounced the NATO statement that declared Beijing a security challenge, saying China is actually a force for peace but will defend itself if threatened. The Chinese news release says the NATO statement was a slander on China's peaceful development 
a misjudgment of the international situation and NATO's own role in a continuation of the Cold War mentality and organizational political psychology. Right. So, uh, so we will see, and you'll hear Grant Newsom talking about this. So I won't, uh, I won't belabor you. And uh, one of the other things that's interesting um, is the United States Navy. And um, what's of interest, in my opinion, is that the Navy is saying, we want to go to this place, but there is no financial plan in place to get them there. So um, Joe Biden just emerged from the house by Lake Geneva. Secret Service guy standing there with his cool guy sunglasses on. Got cufflinks on. Um, Navy blue suit, white shirt. And red tie, the standard government issue. And the next guy walks in the picture in the same costume. Hmm. I wonder if that's specified. Everybody wears the same thing. Hmm. So anyway, uh, the president's motorcade is now leaving. Um, so here's a headline, and this is in defense news. Lawmakers are worried about the Navy spending plan and a near-term China threat. A prediction last year that China could attempt to invade Taiwan in the next six years has put increased pressure on talks between lawmakers and the U.S. Navy leadership on how to prioritize fiscal 2022 spending needs. In addition to the apparent preference of House Armed Service Committee Representative Adam Smith, who's from the state of Washington and also who's a Democrat, to not increase Defense Department top-line spending and instead find cuts within the department to offset any additional needs is now creating another layer of complexity. The budget tension was on full display during a June 15th House Armed Service Committee hearing with Chief of Naval Operations Mike Gilday, Commandant of the Marine Corps David Berger, and Acting Secretary of the Navy Thomas Harker. Quote, Admiral, you painted a pretty ugly picture for the future of the Navy, given the fact that, given that fact, do you feel like this budget is adequate to help you take on those challenges? Said Mike Rogers, Republican from Alabama. Right. House Armed Service Committee Vice Chair Representative Elaine Luria, who's a Democrat from Virginia, said more bluntly, I understand you were given a shitty, quote, shitty top line by the administration and specifically the Pentagon. You didn't have a lot of good choices, but you did have choices. She then went on to question the Navy's plan for prioritizing current operations and readiness over growing the fleet. At heart is the Navy's calculus that its current operational tempo, dictated ultimately by the Secretary of Defense in consultation with Joint Force leaders and not shaped by the Navy itself, has strained the service but is unlikely to change anytime soon. So the Navy in its fiscal year 2022 request, asked for a 2.2% increase in operations and maintenance funding, even as it asked for 8.7% decrease in procurement. 
I don't, yeah, like, I don't understand that. So anyway, this, um, yeah, the Navy, to me, is a bit of a head-scratching organization. Um, and, you know, you see them retiring lines of ships 20 years early. Like, wait a minute, did we screw it up that bad? Um, so anyway, the Navy, I think, is in is a big problem inside the Department of Defense. And the and again, that big problem comes with big dollars. Yeah, where are you going to find that stuff? So, uh, so that in the news. Top five stories in early bird, real quick, and then we'll get Grant Newsham in here. Um, number one: Pentagon considering a permanent naval task force to counter China in the Pacific. Now you've heard about that, you know. You've heard Grant and I ask him about this, but you hear Grant in the past talking about, look. You know, Freedom of Navigation Acts. The Chinese say, of course the Americans will drive through. And then they leave. And we will stay. So so you know who you should pay attention to. Number two, the Pentagon's anti-extremism moves are now part of a larger national strategy. This is from a story from Military Times. The White House on Tuesday announced a national effort for countering domestic extremism which includes moves the Defense Department put into action earlier this year. Some of this stuff is straight up crazy, in my opinion. Among them are initiatives to better screen potential recruits, monitor... You know what? I mean, recruits at 18, you're an extremist? Or you're just an idiot with a Twitter account? If I were a betting man, I'd say most of that is an idiot with a Twitter account. Could you imagine if if Donald Trump or Joe Biden had Twitter accounts when they were eight, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen? Yeah, they would have been extremists too. Uh, next story: Navy's highest-ranking officer confronts Republican critics and stresses the importance of combating racism and, misinf- and misinformation. Now, that's an interesting headline. Because, um, and it comes from CNN, right? So take it at face value. But um, two Republican congressmen got into the U.S. military yesterday in that House Armed Service Committee hearing as being weak and woke. One of them is a Navy reservist. So this Navy reservist is taking the chief of naval operations to task. A little bit odd, a little bit odd. So that is in the news. And they specifically, you know, uh, go head to head about the Navy's reading list and some of the some of the garbage that's on that list. Uh, fourth story, Senator vows to hold up VA leadership nominees until the department provides info on toxic exposure bill. So a little bit of a. Uh, a little bit of political grandstanding there. And then there's a the 2021 Military Times Best for Vets. Colleges, college rankings are out. Where does your school rank? Um, some A um, couple interesting stories uh, in terms of overseas operation. Reagan Carrier Strike Group heads to the South China Sea for the first time during their 2021 deployment. Uh, relative to national security, 
Government UFO reports is the product of years of military infighting over whether to take these sightings seriously. Hmm. UFOs, man. Nobody can get enough of UFOs. And uh, these two, this one's out of Air Force magazine. Norms for space should be key to arms control negotiations. Now, that's pretty interesting because if you lose in space, you'll lose everywhere else, in my opinion. So, this is a, a discussion with U.S. Northern Command boss, General Glenn Van Herc, who's the deputy commander of the U.S. Space Force. Um, and I'll just read you a quick quote, and then we'll go to the next article. First of all, I think that any arms control discussion these days should not be unilaterally with a single country with the two peer competitors that we have. It would be nice to have that discussion with both China and Russia. I do believe there's an opportunity to discuss arms, including non-kinetic, such as cyber and space, where we can establish lanes in the road where I'm very concerned about unintentional escalations in those areas. He added, the space domain, it's not a global common. It's an extra global common. And so I would echo what General Van Herc said, that whatever you talk about something Whenever you talk about something in the space domain, you would have to involve all the parties that are participating in that, so it would have to be multilateral. I would think the first thing I would want to look at in space domains is norms of responsible behavior within that domain, expectations of what is professional behavior versus non-professional behavior things, things that help us to avoid escalation in that domain that could lead to a global crisis. Interesting, right? And so you're talking about, you know, we take these things for granted now, but, you know, that, you know, how nations fly intercepts of other aircraft. I mean, there's established ways that those things are done. International shipping lanes, international aviation lanes, those are all agreed upon norms. So, interesting. But here's a story that I saw, and again, this is another one from Air Force Magazine. Who knew, right? Um, headline, next national defense strategy should return to a two-war force construct. When you see that, right, when you see that, just put big dollar signs next to it. Article, I'll read you two paragraphs, and then you'll hear Grant Newsom. As the Biden administration updates the national defense strategy, it should return to the force-sizing construct of preparing to fight two major theater wars, not just one, and selectively increasing the kinds of forces most urgently needed for more demanding future fights, according to a new paper from AFA's, I believe that's Air Force Academy, Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies. Failure to prepare for two wars, one in the Indo-Pacific and one in Europe, sends the exact wrong message to America's adversaries. Mitchell's Mark Gunzinger, Director of Future Concepts and Capabilities Assessment, said during a live stream release of a new paper, he and Lucas Ottenreed are the authors of Building a Force that Wins Recommendations for the National Defense Strategy. 
Failure to prepare for two wars may actually invite China and Russia to take advantage of a conflict in the other sphere of influence, Gunzinger said, and strike before the U.S. has time to build the wonder weapons envisioned in the research and development heavy fiscal 2022 budget. So, interesting. Interesting. We abandoned that notion, I believe, largely, not because it couldn't happen, but largely on economic ground. So, anyway. Um, Grant Newsham is going to join me right now. So, without further ado, here's Grant. Joining us right now is uh, Grant Newsham. And uh, so, I emailed Grant, and because there's a lot of uh, big things going on uh, in the world, and uh, so, first of all, Grant, thank you for taking time out of your day and joining us. And uh, good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever the hell you are. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks. Good afternoon. All right. And you're in Taiwan. Yay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's talk about the G7. Uh, interesting. Um, in, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, if uh, the free democracies of the world are going to preserve the rules-based order, uh, that they fought for and shed a lot of blood for in World War II to produce, uh, that they w- would need to act in unison. And at least in word, they're beginning to say the right things. And you and I had a conversation, I don't know, within the last month, talking about the French carrier Joan of Arc in the Pacific, uh, the Queen Elizabeth carrier battle group headed for the Pacific. And you made the comment that well, these appeared to be steps in the right directions, but none of it works without follow-through. Would you say the same thing about the G7? So the rhetoric is at least pointed in the right direction, but there was, I guess, very serious discussions about the nuances of the language that would be used relative to the Chinese, relative to China, lest it screw up um, economic relationships too soon. Um, so give me your thoughts on the G7. Uh, it looks like good intentions, but we'll, you know, but we'll have to see the follow through. Yeah, that, that's sort of, I think, the best way to look at it. You know, it's easy to just dismiss it as a lot of talk and, um, you know, that's it. But, you know, it, you have to give it some time, but also do realize, of course, that, uh, you know, getting these Europeans to criticize China um, about Hong Kong, about Xinjiang, what they're doing to the Muslims, and to call for a sort of a decent inquiry into where the the Wuhan virus came from, which everybody knows. But um, but they called for the inquiry to do these things. You know, it, it really irritates the Chinese. So it does take some, uh, really some, I, don't, I wouldn't quite call it backbone, but like signs of having a backbone for the the Europeans to actually get together and say this. And it's not just the Europeans. Of course, the Japanese were in on it uh, as well. Uh, But just speaking of the Euros, you know, it is something. And it's different than they would have done two, three years ago. They just wouldn't have even thought about it. It would have been too provocative. The Chinese wouldn't have liked it. They would have uh, suffered too much economic harm, but now they've come out and you know have criticized the Chinese and the, say the Chinese really are not happy. Um, there's of course other countries in the EU, so it's not just these um, prominent ones that are part of the G7 uh, that spoke up. But nonetheless, it it is something. Now let's see what happens. And you know, sending the uh, 
the British ship, the ships out to Asia, and also the French already going out there. Uh, you know, that's something as well. But they, they do, of course, um, sort of uh, like money. And you see Miss Merkel and the Germans, you know, these ones who've really pushed this trade agreement between the EU and the Chinese. And it really was sort of a, a fluke that it got rejected by a different part of the EU. Uh, but so keep in mind that while, you know, you have the Germans who've agreed to this language at the same time, you know, they would love to do bus more business with the Chinese. And they've also been quite happy to do business with um, uh, the Russians, particularly with this uh, Nord Stream gas pipeline uh, that is widely criticized. And it, it works really only to the Russians' advantage. Um, but this was something, you know, it was nice to, to see them at least say the words. And now let's see what, what the follow-up is. And, and like you said, you know, you do wonder, well, if the Chinese don't reform, what, what are the Europeans and the G7 going to do? Uh, but this is say it's better than it was two, three years ago. Do you think that this step gets taken if Donald Trump doesn't do what he did? Because Donald Trump essentially right through the carcass in the middle of the room, called them out. But, you know, those kind of civil heads could never go along with him, you know, because the optics of it would be horrible. Now that he's gone and Joe Biden comes with a much softer approach, essentially with the same course of action. Hey, we've got to stand up as a group and oppose this. Uh, now it can be done um, because, I mean, presidents, whether it be paying your fair share of NATO or, you know, some of the other things that we need to confront, um, American presidents have gone to, you know, the continent with their hat in their hand, right? And uh, mm -hmm. to the G7 with their hat in their hand and then been rebuffed almost universally. Um, does Donald Trump get any credit for this? Oh, I think he has to. Uh, certainly when it comes to NATO, I think he deserves a lot of credit. With the G7, um, it could be such a relief that they don't have to deal with him that they're glad to sort of acquiesce in this language that the Americans want. A cynic would say that they know that this is all that they're going to be pushed to do. And these sort of nice-to-have sending a few ships to Asia and talking a good game is, you know, that's a small price to pay uh, from their perspective. It's not too hard. It's going to be, what do they do when the next Chinese outrage happens? And if the Chinese refuse to go along with the investigation into the virus, do the Europeans and the G7 just roll over and say, oh, let it go? Uh, but I think it was, you know, Trump certainly softened him up a bit. And then I, maybe it's just the, the relief at not having to deal with him uh, that, you know, that puts him in a, in a good mood. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it, it's always a little hard to say what the dynamic is. But when you look at what they're actually required to do and have been asked to do by the Americans, it's not all that much. Uh, but the Trump administration really uh, did force them and push them and threaten them, I'm told, say, to get them to uh, kick out Huawei from the telecommunications networks, uh, that there were a lot of things that the, the Trump people did almost force the Europeans to do, and they went along with it, uh, actually. Um, so Biden really isn't asking them to do all that much, either that hasn't been done already or that uh, is intended to be done in the future, you know, when you think about it. 
this is almost just a statement of intent rather than, um, say, an obligation to do this, this, or this. You know, when you think back on, you know, the Huawei thing, um, that when the UK went there, I mean, I would tell you that that was straight up stunning. I didn't, I never thought that that would happen. And so you look at, you know, that, uh, you know, the question is, where will this go? Let, let me ask you, you know, let's talk about, uh, you know, the Wuhan lab and all of that. You know, there's uh, more and more stories written every day. Um, you and I talked the last time you were on about, you know, we have a central intelligence agency that ought to be able to tell us, you know, about things like this. Um, you have more and more reporting on a daily basis that says, yeah, this is, there's something, there's a there there. Um, have any, anything that you've seen in the last couple of weeks that um, sways your opinion, strengthens it, makes it, makes you question that storyline? Because I know intelligent people that say, look, at some point people will get the ground truth on this. But it was no coincidence that it came from Wuhan. Um, and if you believe in coincidences, you're a fool. Uh, your thoughts? Anything? Anything that you've seen in the last couple of weeks that have that has uh, that has broken squelch for you relative to this investigation? Well, you're seeing a lot of people, I say, in the media, uh, in particular, you know, are now sort of saying, "Oh, we got it. Uh, we hated Trump so much that we had to lie." Um, but now we see that it just might have come from this laboratory in Wuhan. Uh, you know, what is your excuse? It's it's just insane. You know that. We hated this guy so much that because he said something, we refused to believe it and we attacked anyone who did. Um, people should be able to think for themselves, you know, so much for our best and brightest. Uh, and there's no good way to make yourself look like anything less than a fool. But they're, they're of course, trying to uh, to do that. But, you know, when you go back a year or more, actually, and consider what these people said, how they acted how they treated people who raised this idea, and then you listen to them now. And it's amusing, actually. And there does seem to be some recognition in a few places that, oh, you know, we kind of, you know, we kind of did something wrong. They're not actually saying that, but it's almost as though, well, leprechauns, you know, are to blame. But but you are, it's uh, there's been this sea change almost that uh, now you can actually say that it might have come from the laboratory. Uh, so I think it's, you know, I've seen nothing which suggests that this is not a reasonable explanation for where it came from. And in fact, it just the behavior of the people who debunked or dismissed it, uh, that too suggests that, well, that it was even more likely that it came from the, the laboratory. And as I said earlier, you know, if you see a giraffe walking down the street, you might suggest, think that it came from the zoo. And the same thing with the you know, the virus in Wuhan. Um, so I, we'll see how this plays out because the the people who uh, who lied are now trying to get away with it and just sort of hope that people forget about it and forget uh, what they actually did. Uh, so and they just might get away with it, given that they control the media, etc. And just the way human nature is, that it tends to sort of forget about things after a while. Uh, so that's um, been an interesting development, and it's, you, it's, I must admit to you know, like drinking like a 16-ounce can of Schadenfreude at least once a day, you know, to um, sort of revel in these people's uh, discomfort. 
Um, but there are, the, of course, the, the people who continue to lie. And, you know, there's nothing much you can do about that. But it's, um, it is funny that, you know, when you read some of the mea culpas, it, such as they are, in these, uh, from these people, and, you know, they, they literally, if you read, you know, read their language, it's saying we hated Trump so much, so how could we do anything but lie? Uh, and, you know, what sort of an educated person actually says this? You know, these people should be hot dog salesmen, uh, not journalists. Um, so uh, there you have it. It's interesting. You know, you have some of, you know, um, I think it's very interesting when you have got people like Glenn Greenwald, Barry Weiss, and they're just excoriating you know, the Washington Post, the New York Times, and some of the leading newspapers in the country, the paper of record, right, the gray lady. And and, and so when you have liberal journalists that are, that are in the lead of taking on, um, on, on their former employers simply because of their failure to report things that, that people know to be true, it's pretty astounding to watch. It's pretty pretty astounding to watch. And I think the latest one in the news was, what, John Stewart? Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at what he said a year ago, um, you know, what he was saying, uh, and then look at what he said just the other day, right. you know, I'm not inclined to give him a break for his come-to-Jesus moment at all. You know, I'm not convinced he's uh, sincere about it, you know, I mean, I don't know what these people could do to really convince me uh, that they, you know, basically lied. Not basically, you either do or you don't, that they were lying. And, but it, you know, I, I did notice that. And then someone on a, uh, I know actually, you know, an IT guy promptly pulled out three of the earlier John Stewart shows from a year ago and says, look at this and uh, don't be too impressed with what he's doing now. But the fact right. he is saying it, uh, is something, but then again, they you know they you, they sort of laugh it off, and it's if well anybody, you know anyone else, anyone would have done that because Trump was just so evil. Right. Uh, so I'm not going to let them get away with it. You know I, I would notice that note that like guys like Gren Greenwald and Barry Weiss, you know they're kind of um, untouchables now in that you know in that world. You know they're considered sellouts. You know they're practically considered Republicans. Uh, so while their commentary is right on the money and it, it would cause, um, you know, if you remember back when being a hypocrite used to be a bad thing, you know, it would cause great discomfort to people 30, 40 years ago. Not so much these days. Uh, the newsroom at the New York Times and just about in the Washington Post, just about everywhere else, uh, something straight out of sorry, 1930 Soviet Union. Yeah, and I think uh, one, one thing she, I, mean, I think one of her latest pieces was, saying that the New York Times is being run by a bunch of high school journalists that use that paper in the manner that a high school, you know, an immature high school journalist would use it, its own high school paper. It's embarrassing. And, and I mean, so, and, and, and again, what, what's, they sound like Republicans. They're liberals, <laughs> which is what's the, the most amazing, the most amazing part of of this discussion, I I want to I want to stay on the Pacific Rim, and I want to ask well, you before, about. Well, before we get to that, okay. there is one article that's worth reading. Okay. And well, there are a bunch of them, but there's one. It's a by a guy named Nicholas Wade, 
And he used to be a New York Times science reporter. He's retired. He's an older fellow now. And he wrote what I think is the most um, impressive article on uh, the possibility of the, the virus coming from the Wuhan lab. And I'm sure his name's Nicholas Wade. And I, I'm acquainted with a fellow who actually dealt with him years ago um, about actually have a story about mummies in China. And he, the guy I've acquainted with speaks really highly of him as just a, a fine journalist. Uh, and that's the story to, that I think uh, is I would recommend. And, and that really, I think, um, is the, the prosecution brief uh, for the uh, for what we know about where the, the virus came from. And, and I'll put the link to this article that Grant Grant's talking about, but the headline is this, The Origin of COVID, Did People or Nature Open Pandora's Box at Wuhan? Question mark. Nicholas Wade, May 5th, 2021. So uh, I'll put that in, in this post if, you, if you'd like to take a look at it. Uh, you can see his work. And uh, it comes officially recommended by Grant Newsham, just for the record. The um, I want to I want to I want to ask you about Mr. Duterte. Um, there's a a status of forces agreement or a visiting forces agreement that the United States have the, and the Philippines have. Now, Mr. Duterte said that he would renounce that agreement, but he's postponed his renouncement. Um, several times, most recently, uh, within the last, I think, 48 hours, you know, um, what's what's going on there? Um, well, he's um, changed his mind. Well, the, the Chinese have stiffed him. Uh, you know, he you know came in and you know talking a big game that he was going to take his jet ski out to the the islands, that the, the, the reefs that the Chinese were occupying, and he changed his mind really quickly. Uh, but, you know, he you know thought he had cut deals with the Chinese that they were going to invest billions into the Philippines, you know, improve infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, he was going to get a cut of it, no doubt. Um, but the Chinese never lived up to it. And they, uh, because of that, that has caused a lot of popular uh, discontent in the Philippines directed at Duterte. Uh, and then the, the COVID you know, epidemic has made life even more miserable for the Filipinos. And, you know, they guess who gets blamed for that? Well, the Chinese and who was the Chinese best friend in the Philippines, uh, Duterte. Uh, you know, he's still got you know his supporters and quite a few of them, but it really has uh, undercut his sort of standing in the Philippines and thus his uh, his attitude towards the visiting forces agreement has changed as well. Uh, so it's, uh, it's um, you know, it's a good example of how events, you know, things that happen uh, that people don't quite expect have a way of uh, shaping government policy, uh, particularly when it's decided by one guy pretty much and his, and his cronies. Uh, so that's uh, where we stand. And it's also, you know, sometimes if a country just sort of, uh, bides its time the way the Americans did and keep doing, you know, keep doing things under the radar, not under the radar, but just, you know, things they are allowed to do and doing as much as they can and just waiting for a sort of a sort of a turn in events uh, that it it can pay off. And this seems to be about where we are. There's still a lot, a lot of uh, work to be done with the Philippines, particularly if you're going to make use of them as a genuine strategic partner. Uh, but this is one sort of 
modest-sized victory, I think, so far. So, so really, the charter or the question for the Biden administration is: Can you convert these very, very small and shallow victories that are important in in a symbolic sense? Can you progressively broaden and deepen every one of these? So to ultimately push China um, to have to deal with this stuff. So is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, the thing is you know, now what? You know, we now have a tendency, what? you know, it's human nature to think that any any success we have is you know, case closed. Everything's good now. And this really is just the start. And what would success look like in the Philippines? I would say uh, something akin to a permanent U.S. military presence would be a good start. Um, but also, I think some uh, much, much uh, greater, much more U.S. business investment uh, in the country uh, would also be good if you can do that. Um, that's probably harder than getting the, the military back. Um, you know, I don't know that there's enough five-star hotels to keep American business interested. Um, but you know, one example would be a couple of years ago when uh, – Subic Bay ran into the, the company that manages it, ran into huge financial difficulties that the Americans, if they were smart, they'd have shown up with a checkbook and say, what can we do to help? And they didn't. They just sort of dithered. And I think the South Koreans actually got in and helped us out a bit. Um, but uh, the Chinese and I have also been trying to, um, of course, get their claws into it. But the, the U.S. didn't say, as I said, jump on that opportunity. Um, but you have to you know, do more than just send the military places. Uh, but the, the economic development aspect is, you know, what people want. You know, if you say you live somewhere and you've got, you know, to get, you know, go anywhere, you have to be, you know, on this packed bus and it's bumpy roads, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, if somebody can make your roads smoother or, you know, get you a nice cheap train that can get you there in air-conditioned comfort, then you're going to appreciate that. Um, maybe even more than having like Third Marine, you know, one three, and you know, down at a base somewhere in southern Philippines, you know, the, the people want to to see some some, some personal uh, sort of benefit from say what a country does, and that's it'd be nice if we use our economic power as a really a tool of national power and deployed it uh, properly. But we're we've got an opportunity to excel in that regard. Well, you know, I've, you know, I've talked repeatedly that I, I think it's, I, I think it was the Trump administration's greatest failing is that, okay, so you, you like bilateral agreements and you weren't in favor of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Well, what happened to the bilateral agreements? Why didn't we negotiate those, especially with Vietnam and the Philippines? If that's where you think this is going, then you've got to make them your best friend and, and those economic relationships beget diplomatic relationships which beget military relationships and if you don't do the economics you aren't going to get invited in militarily and so it's to me it's 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 the great it's the greatest there of the last four years in american foreign policy and uh and 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 we'll see if it changes and i mean to me you've got to make them your best friend you've got to make them a better deal and to me the g7 you know and you know and i've, I've done kind of the math on this the G7 has four times the amount of GDP that China has. That's a lot of GDP, okay? And so 
you can begin to offer deals to Vietnam, to the Philippines, because you want them to work with you in the long term for the stability, for the economic stability of the world. And uh, in my opinion, Angela Merkel can't go away fast enough. I, I think yeah, she has been yeah, um, yeah. She, she's uh, been terrible um, for the world and and for yeah. the the rules based order of the world the the whole the whole yeah. pipeline with Russia you know her going through with that you know it, it's it's I mean to me granted it's such a case of like folly that you know it, it, it's reminiscent reminiscent of you know the elder Bush saying you know if if we if we continue to do business with China at some point they will become a you know, a liberal, uh, socially, a socially liberal nation, and they'll evolve out of communism. Well, guess what? That hasn't happened. That was a pipe dream, right? And and it seems like she is bent on doing the same thing. So to me, that economic power of the G7 has got to be used, you know, to continue, you know, to 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 advocate for, and if it has to be in a more forceful way, so be it. And uh, with the Chinese about what the future is going to look like and, and are they going to come as a partner in a rules-based order or are they going to try to usurp the rules-based order and, 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 and they're going to dictate what happens on this planet. And, and I don't know that she helps very much at all. Oh, well, they've, they've, the Chinese have told us exactly what they think of the rules-based order. Uh, they say they weren't around to make it, so... They'll make up their own rules and everyone will play by those. But Mrs. Merkel, I say, it's a mystery to me. I don't get it because she, when she grew up in, I think she's from in East Germany. So she's familiar with that, those, those sorts of systems. But also, you know, that I would like to think the Germans would need to be uh, pretty sensitive about dealing with countries that, say, conduct, uh, you know, human experiment, medical experiments that take organs out of people even ones who are still alive and have concentration camps. You know, it's only been 70, 75 years. And you know, I you know, think that these people still have the mark of Cain on them. And I wish uh, that, you know, she would uh, say that about China and use that as a reason to avoid them. Uh, but instead, she's bent over backwards or however you bend. And uh, to do anything to do business with them. And that's just, it's something that, that does irk me. Uh, there's a very good book called Bloodlands, um, but it's a um, history about German behavior in Eastern Europe, sort of in the Ukraine uh, and that part of the, the world during World War II. And if you read that, um, you know, you would, uh, you'll, you might think a bit of, about things the way that I do. Uh, but in terms of the economic a- angle that you mentioned, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm, of course, a believer in that. But in a couple things that, you know, from the Trump administration, where I think they uh, dropped the ball was one when the South Koreans put in the, uh, or we put the THAAD missile defense system into South Korea in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chinese just, you know, laid waste to the South Korean economy. They, you know, went after the Lotte company, this major company with huge business in China basically put them out of business. Chinese tourists stopped going to South South Korea. And the Americans, instead of stepping in and saying, hey, you know, we've got you, here's what we're going to do for you. We did nothing. And that did a lot to sort of um, turn some South Koreans against us. 
the the other thing that I just heard, really, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, um, was that I'd always wonder why the Americans uh, wouldn't, you know, give uh, Taiwan a free trade agreement. You know, it's an agreement where you have, you know, particularly easy trade between both countries, and it helps it helps each country's businesses. But Taiwan really needed the help because their economy has been slow for for a while until very recently, and the Americans couldn't, you know, wouldn't. Uh, start the negotiations to get this done. And I, I thought it was just because the Americans were lazy. You know, I'd heard, well, the USTR, the US trade representative, doesn't have the bandwidth. And I was trying to think of, well, what's more important than helping Taiwan? And But, you know, I know bureaucrats are lazy. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe they just are lazy. And it turns out that uh, Lighthouse, the, the, the US trade representative, um, purposely didn't do that because he thought that this would improve our chances of getting a trade deal with China. And, you know, once I heard that, you know, my uh, opinion of him, which previously had been pretty high, um, it went down to about somewhere where my opinion of Miss Merkel's is. Um, so it wasn't just us being stupid. We were also being craven. Uh, and but it, it's a lost opportunity. And, you know, it, uh, this new administration has uh, the opportunity to excel uh, in this area, as does, as you pointed out, the G7. Um, but you got to get business willing to go out there and you've got to give them the support and really the guarantees in some cases uh, to get them to take an interest in these places. And, and the Chinese have no hesitation of going to the ends of the earth. And when I say the Chinese, this is Chinese businessmen. You know, you, you may not like it, but, you know, they do have the the gumption and the energy to get out, you know, to uh, the four corners of the world and try to do business. So that's up to us to match it. Great. I want to ask you now about um, something that I saw today and something that, um, again, another thing that you, you've discussed on, on a pretty regular basis, and that is this uh, headline in, uh, on the website Politico. Headline says this, Pentagon considering permanent naval task force to counter China in the Pacific. The two initiatives, which are not yet finalized, would add muscle to President Joe Biden's tough talk, talk on China. The Pentagon is considering establishing a permanent naval task force in the Pacific region, South China Sea specifically, to counter China's growing military might, according to two people familiar with internal discussions. The plan would also involve creating a named military operation for the Pacific that would enable the Defense Secretary to allocate additional dollars and resources to the China problem, said the people who requested anonymity to discuss pre-decisional plans. The two initiative initiatives, which are not yet finalized, blah, 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 blah. The news comes as NATO leaders are increasingly aligning themselves with Washington's confrontational stance on Beijing, four years after former President Donald Trump made countering China a top foreign policy priority, NATO allies this week declared Beijing a security challenge and said the Chinese are working to undermine global order. Uh, let me re read one more paragraph. The discussions grew out of work by the Pentagon's China Task Force which Biden commissioned in March to examine the department's China-related policies and processes. The group, led by Eli Ratner, 
the nominee to serve as the Pentagon's top Indo-Pacific policy official, recently completed its work and presented recommendations to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Quote, we're looking at a number of proposals in the Indo-Pacific and across the department to better synchronize and coordinate our activities. However, the secretary said, now is the time to get to work. There are many details and specifics still to be finalized. Um, you've been critical of, of the United States military and in particular our drive-by um, uh, freedom of navigation uh, operations that the Chinese just tell everybody in the region, the Americans come and they go. We will always be here. Uh, your thoughts on, on this initiative? Um, you know, uh, I'm impressed, actually, that, you know, that there's a species of person who um, gets paid to do what they do. Um, you, know, they, uh, you know, with this, their basic idea is ultimately um, to cooperate with other nations out there, have our militaries work together. Um, boy, that's a new idea. <laughs> Um, yeah, in this particular one. So, you know, wait, are you going to give me this is a firm grasp of the obvious finally? <laughs> kind of. It, uh, yeah. But the other good part is they're talking about having, but I think a named whatever, whatever it is. Well, I thought there was one called Pacific Fleet. Um, you know, you, it's, you know, in one funny kind of way, it, it um, you know, it's the, the standard bureaucratic response is to reorganize and think that this is going to fix things. Um, someone has told me, though, that, well, if you have whatever, a named fleet or what, whatever, that that allows you to demand money in Washington and that people will leave you alone and, you know, they won't bully you the way CENTCOM has been doing to Asia, they say, forever. And, you know, maybe that's how it works in D.C. Um, but in terms of just playing common sense, you know, the, the U.S. has everything it needs in Asia organizationally to do everything it needs to do. And the need to uh, develop military relationships that allow us to conduct operations with select countries out here um, and to have the will to do it and potentially to fight, um, you know, that there's never been any reason why we couldn't do that. Um, there's presumably a shortage of ships and aircraft, etc. And some would say there isn't enough money to do all this, but I'm not, you know, there's probably some truth to that. Seventh Fleet doesn't have all that many ships when you, you look at it, when you look at what the Chinese have. But if you look at what potential partners have, uh, that adds up pretty quickly. But, you know, why is it that we don't have any partners like that out there except for maybe Australia, uh, maybe a little bit of the Japanese? But it's, it really is a fraction of what it should be. Uh, so they've really just stated the obvious. And if this is the best they've got coming, um, well, you know, it, as I say, one is in awe that they apparent probably pretty well paid for, for what they did. Uh, and if they were to just continue a lot of what Mr. Trump's people uh, had put in, sort of put in the works, like you know, David Stilwell at State Department and Matt Pottinger uh, and a couple others that, you know, they'd be in pretty good shape. But this latest initiative um, it just reminds me of this, you know, urge to reorganize and think that that's going to fix things. But it, but if someone does take this and runs with it, and said develops a real alliance of real militaries, 
Um, and with the political uh, sort of benefits that come of that, the political strength and uh, connections, uh, then that's a good thing. And if they can get more ships, more submarines, more aircraft in more places out in Asia, well, you know, good for them. And I'll, you know, compliment them uh, for a week, you know, if they can do that. But, you know, this is all of this stuff should have been done a decade ago, and it could have been done a decade ago. Uh, so here we are, you know, just studying it. And one does also ask, well, you know, if the, the Biden people were the professionals, the adults, well, why did it take them? what is it now, six months to come up with this? Um, they should have had this ready, hit the ground running and, you know, taken off. Um, but so I'm, you know, sort of uh, bemused by this. Um, but if they can pull it off, well, good for them. Yeah, I thought given the, the difference um, in the backdrop that that this is occurring in front of, you know, the G7 statements and whatnot, that you would be a little bit more optimistic than jaded Grant, for the love of God. Um, I've been watching for 25 you, years. Right. You sound a little <laughs> soured up, for the, for God's sake. And, and also, I'm not in the racket. I'm telling you, if I was on that China policy team, I'd see things very differently if I was getting that nice biweekly paycheck. Uh, but, uh, no, it's, you know, so some things you've kind of seen before, um, but let's say, let's see, see what they can come up with. Uh, you know, you'll notice that every single exercise that, you know, the services in the Pacific has done, it's been in, you know, it's announced that it's going to improve you know, interoperability based yes. on habitual blah, blah, blah. And okay, who is it we can do a real world short notice operation with? And who is willing to actually fight with us um, as opposed to, you know, coming out of the stands like uh, and playing a little bit with the Harlem Globetrotters? It's a pretty short list. Um, and except for some, some very limited circumstances and except for the Australians, as I say, it's a very short list. And, you know, how many this is 50 years of, you know, exercises intended to improve mutual interoperability and establish habits of cooperation. Uh, and they, every exercise has always been a great success. And here we are. Now they're still talking, now they're talking about, you know, establishing an, a network of decent alliances that uh, can fight together, kind of like NATO back in its heyday. Um, not today, but back in the, the days when it, it was a serious uh, entity. Wow. Here I tee up a, a, a chance for you to be optimistic and you just backhand the living shit out of it. The, um, but then again, you know, I, you know, I could be wrong, you know, and if, um, if I am, I will say so, you know, I won't do the, uh, what these guys about the Wuhan virus <laughs> are doing. I'll say, well, I'll, you won't, fact, do, you won't take, do the Kabuki dance and, and, nah, and, and walk away from it. Well, nah, I'll be beating my forehead on the ground. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, I mean, it will be interesting to see, do these heads of state, right. Um, will they continue to collectively? Because again, uh, Grant said this months ago, he said the most dangerous course of action you know, that the Chinese worry about is concerted action by the Western, essentially the G7. He said that is the most deadly course of action for them, that they stand together and they act together. 
and they go to great lengths to keep people divided. And so, in spite of seeing like rumblings of this maybe occurring, Grant is just like beating the shit out of it today. So, um, are you okay? Like, uh, are you soured up for some reason, personally? Or- <laughs> Is there, and you're taking it out on international relations commentary. Um, what am I supposed to say? Yeah, this is great. Yes. Are they, um, no, God, no, no, no. But you know, but I, you know, and I knew what I, you know. As I thought about this, as I was flying back from Montana, I thought, you know what? I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, "Yeah, yeah, hooray! It sounds great, but what will the follow through be?" And you know, Grant's been at this for a long, long time. And he tends to be right about all this shit. But I could hear you. I could already, I was already considering what you were going to say. Talk to me about Biden, Putin. Nobody plays the international stage like Dr. Evil does, right? Um, as I remind people often, an economy smaller than the, the economy of Canada, smaller than the economy of South Korea. Yet he puffs his chest around and preens around the world. You know, like he is truly Dr. Evil. Um, I will give the Biden media people high marks for not doing a side-by-side media op afterwards. Because Putin's too good at that. He made Donald Trump look like a clown, you know, every time they did that. So I just want to say that uh, somebody's paying attention, right, with the... Yeah, we're not going to allow that. That is not going to be happening with Joe Biden. Um, give me your thoughts on Biden and uh, and Putin. Uh, what happens there? Oh, yeah. I, as you said, I think they were smart not to put Mr. Biden uh, sort of in front of the press with uh, with Putin. Um, I think Biden, you know, as I think I noted a few episodes before, you know, Putin's a guy that. You know, does judo with you know with men a third his age, and um, President Biden is not at the top of his game, I think, by any measure. And it would be dangerous to put the two uh, together. You know, Putin, you really do have to kind of admire him. <laughs> you know, anybody who like rides horses without a shirt on and captures giant sturgeon, etc., and shoots deer, you, you gotta, you know, you, you gotta give him a, a pat on the back. But um, you know, with this. It's one of the things to me that's very interesting is what is this administration going to do towards Russia? You know, there's some talk, if you sort of listen to the chatter, that, well, they, they think there's some some way they can get things back on track, you know, talk, start talking to each other. And one, the, sort of the hypocrisy of it, given the way that they um, worked over Mr. Trump, you know, and his supposed ties to Russia, um, you know, the idea that this administration is going to be soft on Russia to work out a deal that certainly uh, proves that inconsistency is a permanent part of foreign relations. But, you know, it's interesting that there probably is some, well, maybe there is some deal to be cut with the Russians, but I doubt it as long as uh, Mr. Putin's in office. Um, I don't know how we're going to resolve that. I I don't know how the Trump, the Biden administration uh, is going to handle it. You know, they just uh, really looked pretty bad when they couldn't get the Germans uh, to cancel the Nord Stream pipeline. Um, that was a, not just a tactical defeat. That was um, 
sort of a humiliation uh, pretty much. So I mean, I'm not sure you know, exactly what they're going to do uh, with them. So, but uh, you know, there there was a day. I mean, I think we all remember back years ago. Was is that you would never meet with you know Vladimir Putin or any of his predecessors unless there was a deal to be signed, unless and 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 it was already worked out. They didn't go just to show the flag and have a press conference and stuff like that. It was there was going to be a, an agreement signed, a historic agreement signed. So to me, it's very interesting. Um, that, well, you know, if you go oh, if you go back, um, say to George Bush's day, G.W. Bush, that um, you know when he first met Putin, I forget it was around two thousand three ish, maybe uh, in Slovenia, I think, and then they later met in Maine. Um, that Bush's first uh, comments, if you you know if you read the press conference transcripts, was, "Well, I looked into Putin's eyes. I could see the man's soul, and you know this and that." I could trust. I could trust him. And you're watching it, going, "Are you shitting me?" Could, yeah, you know, go, yeah, huh? And uh, <laughs> is this what comes of a Yale education? I, you know, but you, you read this stuff and you realize that this sort of uh, silliness isn't quite the word because it affects the country. That's Grant, that's, that's craziness, right? And then if you hear Bush talk about that, you know, Putin had told him some story about finding a cross in the burned out relic of his, you know, of his mother's home or something like that that touched Bush's heart. And then he sent him the cross or something like that. And it's like, you're being played like a mandolin, you dope. You got to hand it to Putin, you know, and, and this is, well, I'm right. not even going to talk about Putin's background because he, he scares me. Um, <laughs> but, assuming he listens to all Marine radio. But, he you know, he yeah. does. We've been clamoring for a permanent presence down in the South China Sea. <laughs> and all of a sudden, and like, what are you going to, what are you going to tell me? This is all coincidence, Grant. So okay. somebody's listening. So, hey, be very careful what you say. Yeah. And then actually Biden, or excuse me, Mr. Obama. I forget when it was, but it was before the second election. Uh, he was heard over an open mic. He was talking to, I think, the president, Medvedev. Or Medvedev oh, that's right. Was, uh, and he says, tell Vlad, Vlad, that's the word he used, you know, the, the nice sort of friendly diminutive form. Tell Vlad that I'll have more, um, what, freedom of maneuver, something like yeah, that, no. after the election. And then I can sell out the East Europeans on <laughs> missile defense. <laughs> Well, that was the um, that was the implied deal, and this is and they said Trump was a God was a Russian stooge. I mean, give me a break, you know. Tell Vlad, you know, the guy that um, well, you know what Putin's done, um, you know, and Mr. Obama's on first name basis with him. Uh, so, you know, what do you say? So, whether or not this administration is able to do better with Vlad, I have my doubts. Um, you know, you, you do have as you say, you do have to hand it to him. Uh, for what he's managed to do uh, with his country in the shape it's in. It is unfortunate because one would like to think that someday that the you know, ru great Russian nation could live up, live up to its promise, you know, kind of like the C student in a high school who does test really well, but he doesn't do well on the, you know, the exam time. But uh, so. Um, what are you writing about? Hmm. Um, what is, I have to, I was, I was spoke at a, it was like an event 
with an Australian group, and I was had like six minutes to make my pitch about wow. America's America's role in Asia and what we should be doing with uh, the Australians. And you know, I just sort of it was like one of these all marine radio things where I just let it rip. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess they liked it so much that they asked me to write it up uh, into a sort of an op-ed for their. Uh, their magazine, and I'm, I'm grateful for it because it's a very good uh, organization. I, I like them, um, and I was sort of, you know, we'll say pleased to be asked. So it's uh, sort of a broad thing about uh, America's role in the Asia Pacific. I have 1,500 words, Whoa. which is, uh, you know, you could practically, you know, write up the New Testament if you have 1,500 words. Just about, just about. 800 is not so easy. <laughs> What um so riddle riddle me this Batman, um, the Australians, I mean we've kept an eye on their, you know if you want to see who's leading the league in confrontation points with the Chinese it would be the Australians, um how are things going for them? Well so far so good you know I think they've you know they're, they're to me it looks like they're not wavering, and they do continue to show us and others you know that. There is some alternative to selling your birthright, uh, and you know, so so say so far so good. And they're you know talking about you know, getting their defense, I don't know, reorganized or redone so it can be better. Um, they do ha- are burdened with this submarine that they cut a deal with the, the Frenchies to build, and I wish they hadn't, or they probably wish they hadn't because it's billions over budget and. Probably you, neither you and I are likely to be on this planet by the time it's finished, and uh, they should have gone with the Japanese offer. So, but they, but, but that said, uh, you know they really are. You know I think doing a lot of things right, and I think showing um, other nations what's doable. Interesting, interesting. The um, what do you expect to happen relative to? All these different um, Wuhan um, uh, comments, overtures, articles. Uh, we've been told that there's intelligence that points to that to the lab. What do you expect to have happen? Because at the end of the day, again, this is going to point back to China, and it's going to take, you know, I would think the cons- the joint action or the concerted action by the G7 to make this happen. Do you think at the end of the day that there will actually be some sort of commission that looks into this in, in an independent way? No, I don't think so. No, God would, damn it, Grant. Yeah, no, throw throw us a bone chance. for crying out loud. Well, I'll believe it when the, when the Durham report comes out. I believe <laughs> that there's going to be a Wuhan report. Uh, I just don't see it. You know, the the Chinese are going to, they're not going to cooperate, of course. Right. Um, and then we'll just forget about it. You know, that r- sort of ruling class or the foreign policy class, the business class, everyone's just going to just let it fade into the rearview mirror. It's going to, you know, it's going to take a while, but it'll just fade away. And there'll be other things that come along and, and there'll be a sort of a move afoot on the U.S. side, of course, to, you know, let's let's uh, we got to be forward looking. You know, we don't this isn't going to get us anywhere. You know, well, let's 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 give the Chinese a break and let's help them out. And there's going to be a move to do that. The only thing that would change that, I think, is if the Republicans 
uh, say, take over the Congress in 2002, uh, that they might raise Mary Hell on this point, some Republicans. Um, and But otherwise, I can just see it just fading into the distance, unfortunately. And, you know, just kind of want to get on with business and, um, you know, let the Chinese up easy and they'll appreciate it. And, you know, that's the that's the statesmanlike thing to do. You know, who wants to pick a fight, you know, with these people? Uh, so that's, I'm afraid, what is going to happen. And, you know, it does require an aggressive media uh, to keep the story alive. And, well, where's that aggressive media? Uh, you know, I say I just can't can't see it. But, but then again, you know, this, uh, that Washington football team, I'm telling you, that, uh, <laughs> now that OTAs have started, that's where you got to put your money this uh, next Super Bowl. So, you know, I could be wrong, but, you know, it's funny just, you know, what sort of, uh, call it sort of horrific behavior goes unpunished and unaddressed. It certainly, it certainly does seem that way. The, um, all right, what, hap- what haven't I asked you about? Um, uh, we haven't spoken in a couple weeks. It has gone on, um, in the, relative to these issues that we discussed that you want to unload on in, in your Um, own, in your own negative mm -hmm. way today. Yeah, I've definitely a negative attitude. I was accused of that in high school, but, um, I think it was the English professor, English teacher that I had a, a negative attitude, but the, um, so I haven't outgrown it. Um, but back to the G7, you know, one, you know, as I said, it's, let's, we'll see what comes of it. But one good sign is the, um, the, the Chinese response to this. It was one of their official spokesmen uh, who said, and this is the quote, it actually popped up here, um, said that after that, this was after the G7 criticism of China, uh, the, the spokesman said, the U.S. is sick, and it's very sick. The G7 should check America's pulse and prescri- prescribe drugs for it. Um, so just based on that response, I'm inclined to give the G7 a, two pats on the back. Uh, you know, when they respond that way, they're really not happy. Uh, and so that was, a, you know, that was a good thing, if you gauge the Chinese response. Um, the Chinese did the other day send, what, 28? fighter jets um, or 28 aircraft uh, sort of across the line towards Taiwan, uh, which is more than they've ever done. And, you know, it's the debate, of course, now, is it posturing or or something else? And I tend to look at it more as conditioning uh, to get sort of get us used to this sort of thing. And then one day they'll, you know, um, you know take the safeties off. Um, but that's uh, just a couple of things of note that I um, wanted to mention and to give leave a little bit of an optimistic note that the, the G7 statement did uh, strike a chord in the in sort of in the the Chinese psychology. Well, again, I and I know there's small steps and they're very cosmetic and superficial right now, but um, you know the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, Grant. You know that, don't you? Well, when the no, because when that village was raising me, that uh, as opposed to my parents, that I don't think they told me that. But they, no, I'm joking. But uh, yes, I've heard of that. Uh, but it is, you know, and, and once again, if you you can't dismiss everything and just say, ah, oh, this is ridiculous or stupid, but it, it is something, and you know, it gives these people, you know, who run 
foreign policy and foreign affairs. It gives them a sort of a sort of the opportunity to do more. And we'll see. And if you, once again, if you compare it to a few years ago, you know, when, uh, you know, British prime ministers were hobnobbing with Xi Jinping and right. forced the queen to let him stay at the, the palace. And then, uh, which was the Cameron, the prime minister resigns. And like the next week he starts this big hedge fund to invest in China. Um, compared to those days, this is looking pretty good. Uh, now the, the the test is to keep it looking even gooder. Don't try to bail yourself out right at the end of this after you've completely no. well, leveraged nice. us into no, the shit. I'm being nice, but the, <laughs> but that said, would I put my money on it? Uh, not quite yet. Right. But the, the opportunity no, but is you know, I, I, and again, I think you're you've been fairly consistent based on what you've seen in the Pacific Rim. How many years have you been out there, Grant? When did you first head out that direction? About 1992. Okay, so we'll and call it 90. So I had been involved so in it for 10 years before that, practically. So almost 40 years of your life, you've been out there watching the kabuki dance that goes on. And more than once have you seen an overture that led to nothing, which is the intellectual basis of your your absolutely deep-seated pessimism. Well, I saw so many, like, you know, um, exercises that were going to improve off interoperability based on habitual scale, you know, whatever. And everyone was a great success. And at some point you realize, well, you know, you kind of ought to keep score and see where we are. And, you know, so plus you, you I think one of the biggest, I don't know what you call it, uh, helps or shocks to the system um, was when I left the government and went to work for a profit-making enterprise, you know, where you can actually be fired and you're expected to produce. And it does, you, you do start to look at things a little differently in terms of, well, what did we actually accomplish? And, you know, has it, you know, are we making money from this? And that, you know, being a little bit funny, but that is a different approach to things. In my case, the shock to the system was nearly fatal, I think, that, you know, I had to actually work, you know, like I had to produce. Produce um, something. You had to pr produce yeah. something that had tangible Pro positive impact, and, and, that somebody, and if and that's going to if that's going to be your metric, nah, 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 uh, then you would look at you know what the United States has done in the Pacific with a jaundiced eye, to say the least. We, oh yeah, you, you, you know, if you're going to keep score, you have to you know note the bad stuff and the good stuff, and uh, and. You know, if there's been a competitor come into the market whose uh, people want to buy their stuff more than yours and they have they don't play by the rules and they have unlimited money, um, you ought to take that seriously and not just think, well, because we were once General Motors that, you know, we're America, that everybody wants to buy our stuff. It, you, know, you have to uh, stay alert and change if you need to do that. And then you know, I did spend so many years with affiliated with Marfor Pack. Um, which was always fun. And it was, you, you do see things from that perspective as well. Uh, and you saw some opportunities that they could have taken advantage of that it would be nice if they did, but um, not everyone's as smart as I am, of course, but they don't well, really listen to me. But we no, all, I'm We all lament yeah. that. Um, well, yeah, but somebody asked me, and I wish you could remember, it just popped into my head. They said, hey, Mac, the next time you have that guy that Pacific Rim guy, I said, Grant Newsham. Yeah, 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 that guy. 
The next time you have him on, ask him about China and Bitcoin. So explain China and Bitcoin to us, Grant. <laughs> what is the relationship between the two? Oh, goodness. If, um, if there's a way to make money, the Chinese are interested in. If there's a way to make money dishonestly, the Chinese like it even more. And I cannot figure out what the what the good thing about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is. I have no idea. Um, and but the Chinese are there's some Chinese are onto it. But anytime China, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, takes an interest in something, you really ought to you know look out and make sure that your your wallet's still around um, and steer clear of it. Um, but I, so I just don't know enough about it, but I've certainly followed it um, from when it's come out, just partly out of sheer curiosity to see if there's anything good you can say about it. Uh, and I haven't figured that out yet. Um, I will just one funny story is the when this first came out is a cryptocurrency or bitcoins, whatever, uh, in what was that four or five years ago, one of the big one of the companies that was the lead on this was a Japanese company. And uh, they had um, an incident and they like $500 million of Bitcoins or whatever they are went missing. And you know, I just loosely was keeping track of it and noticed it. And then I, I happened to see on Japanese TV, like uh, an interview of the, the president of the company. He was a youngish guy. And you know, I saw that, you know, and I said, man, he doesn't look like a guy that is all that worried about having lost a half a billion dollars. And so I said, well, let's take a look. So I looked at their, um, uh, how do you call it, their uh, advisory board. And on the advisory board is a representative of a Yakuza organized crime owned company. And at that point, that was as much as you needed to know. And then it, so the, what it was is Japanese organized crime. And I probably working with some others um, made off with a, a good bit of tax free money. Uh, so I've never had a very good opinion of the the Bitcoin business, but but China is, you know, if, if there's an angle, you know, that these guys are good entrepreneurs or whatever you want to call it, um, and they're trying to squeeze money out of it. But if you can figure out like what the benefit of Bitcoin is, um, I can't see what it is, you know, it, unless you're a money launderer, or a drug dealer, and want untraceable money. Um, or it would be like trading in you know, Beanie Babies or something where there's this temporary market for it as the sort of demand you know, raises prices up or something. But I, I just can't, can't quite see the, um, the, the attractiveness of it that would allow me to put my 401k into Bitcoin. <laughs> How does it retain its value? What does it like? I don't, I don't know. Uh, that's what I was looking for you to explain to me. So okay, I'm gonna have to go. I can only think of so many things I mean, this is <laughs> in, in the course of a day. <laughs> Plus, I don't understand it. I've had people try to explain it to me, and it's you know, be like telling your Labrador Retriever, like uh, you know, who the starting nine for the Chicago Cubs were in 1970. You know, he wouldn't quite get it. Exactly. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, first of all, I appreciate you uh, changing your schedule a little bit to accommodate me. I did a lot of. Um, a lot of news relative to China, the Pacific Rim, um, the United States, the G7, 
And uh, I've been traveling a little bit, and so wanted to have you back on because I know people w- w- uh, want to hear what your perspective is. So I appreciate you uh, for changing things up to uh, to accommodate me. And uh, have a great couple weeks, and until we talk to you again. Sure, anytime. Always appreciate the opportunity. Okay, thank you, Grant. Mm-hmm. Okay, righto. That is Grant Newsham here on a. Wednesday edition of All Marine Radio. Always a favorite. That'll do it on a Wednesday. This program repeats itself momentarily. Grant is steady as a rock in his cautiously pessimistic outlook. And uh, and he is that way based on decades of practice in the Western Pacific and seeing governments fail to do the right thing. You know, I've been thinking, like, how does Germany get a pass? Right? How does Germany get a pass that it doesn't have to be a fully functioning nation? It could be a nation without a military and everybody else will just pay for Germany's defense. And then this is the this is the joke of Germany. Okay. I'm I'm pretty much anti German, if you haven't noticed. But here's the joke of Germany. Not only will they not defend themselves, not will they not not will they not will they simply just not stand up for the rules based order. And be a fully functioning democracy the way the Japanese are. Right? And they do things that, right, that empower both China and Russia. So it's not enough that they're not fully functioning democracy and other people pay for them, for the German people to be free. That's not it. That's not enough. That's what I say. Angela Merkel, she can't get off the world stage fast enough, in my opinion. And, you know, this is a, an invitation to the, to the German nation to become a real nation again with a real military and contribute to real world, world stability through deterrence. How about that? That's why you have a standing army. Okay. Now, what, 80 years ago, we got it. Didn't go very well. Okay, we think you've learned the appropriate lessons. Stop freeloading off us. And also, stop destabilizing the world. So, yeah, anyway. Germany, not my favorite. Anyway, uh, the Mensa Brothers will join me tomorrow. We'll talk about some of this stuff. So, looking forward to that. Until then, I'm Mike McNamara, the Salt Marine Radio. Have a great day. Don't be afraid to change somebody's life. And... uh if I could help you change your life, I'd, I'd be more than happy to. Especially, in particular, people that have gone through traumatic events. So, on that note, have a great day. I'm out.
Okay, that's the fade I needed to do.